right in front of him. Crowd are looking, throws it alley. Oh! Welcome in to the Just Basketball Show. I'm Chris Manning. That over there is Brennan Clean. We're coming to you for Wednesday, May 17th. If you haven't already, please subscribe or follow us on your podcast platform of choice. Rate and subscribe everywhere you can. Give us those five stars only. Please hit subscribe and hit the notification bell on YouTube if you have not already. As always, we have a jam-packed show today we delayed recording for a day or two because we had to talk about the lottery and we had to talk about game one of the western conference finals which the nuggets won got a little bit hairy late got a little bit dicey late for them but they hold on but that felt very competitive some really smart adjustments by the lakers i think to bring that game closer and i'm curious to see where that series goes but brendan uh let's start with the nba draft lottery because we know where victor Wembanyamba is going to start his career and in the vein what if they of just Tony don't Parker. Take Vic, though? Did you have we talked about there, that possibility? There's a 0% chance of that happening. Did you see <laughs> okay. Peter Holt screaming on Did you see Peter Holt screaming on ESPN? Could be a big scoop guy. We don't we don't know he, until we know. No, I think you're just, you're, uh, you're <laughs> he's like right. I'm he's like he's like obnoxious. he's he's like I just love Ammoni Bates that much. So he's like so got all of his Ammoni Bates sock. He's like hear me out, T Rex arms. So Wemby Wemby in the vein of his countryman Tony Parker, Boris Diaw, Boris Diaw, in the vein of Tim Duncan and David Robinson in terms of generational big men is going to the San Antonio Spurs. You are shaking your head. What is your reaction to Wemby to San Antonio? So Greg Popovich, notoriously a big wine guy, right? Like he he has these dinners. It's legendary stuff around the league with how many different coaches and players have, have crossed through San Antonio at this point. What kind of wine do you think Pop ordered at the dinner where Adam Silver, Silver told him he was getting Vic? <laughs> like two weeks ago, what kind of was it? A merlot? Uh, was it like a cab? Was it maybe a, a nice sangria iced? Jake, uh, Jake Stevens, our producer. I need you to play like some Hitchcockian, like spooky conspiracy theory. Like we need, we need some yeah. some of that vibes here from, from Brendan. It's look. I don't actually hate the Spurs that much. I think we did a show a while back where I actually said that the Spurs deserved him. I think that they have the most stable organization. If you judge from his answers and even like the instinctive response that he was caught on video with Chris, uh, whether it's the connections, it is kind of funny. He he chose not to play for Tony Parker's French league team this year because he wasn't going to get playing time. And now he's going to the Spurs anyway. Um, so the conspiracy people kind of receded after he parted ways with Tony Parker. And yet uh, Adam Silver set him up anyway, but joking aside, I don't actually hate the Spurs that much like Suns fans sometimes in the history of that rivalry might, you know, there's a lot of moments I'm kind of overdoing it for show, but it is insane that David Robinson, Tim Duncan, and Victor Wembanyama would all end up on the same franchise. Like it there it's either poetic and beautiful or the absolute worst thing depending on what team you root for, I guess, but I think for his career, which I'm rooting for more so than any of that nonsense, it, it's going to be a really good landing place for him. I think that the infrastructure is there. The stability is there. They actually have a, a sneaky good supporting cast. 
And so of all the options, maybe there would have been some more chaotic ones, maybe some more fun ones, maybe some more star-studded Portland, for instance. But look, like Vic there, I think that's going to be an awesome spot and they could be competitive pretty pretty quickly. Matthew Tynan, who does a really good job writing about the Spurs, has for a long time. Um, you can get his sub stack. Now, he used to work at The Athletic. Pointed out that they will be using one first-round pick to, to pick Wembenyama. So, Brennan, the Spurs have 12 more over the next five years and like a bajillion of second-round picks to boot. They have Keldon Johnson. They have Pop. They have a, a historic, you know, a coaching staff and organization that has done this before. Uh, you know, like you see, what, we'll see what they think about Branham and and what, what these other guys that they have. Mm-hmm. Vassell, yeah, Vassell, yeah, big Vassell. Like Vassell plus Keldon Johnson plus Wemby is like a very modern two, three or three, four, five. Like you have a lot of great stuff there. You to figure out the guard stuff. I know they use a ton of draft picks on guards. Obviously, those haven't worked out for various reasons fully. But they figure out the guard spot. They maybe bring in a veteran or two to kind of like be like an adult for some of that stuff. And like this team, this team is on the move and they they will have the assets to make trades and find the right guys that they want. Yeah, you mentioned guard and you mentioned trades. That's where I wanted to go. Do you think this puts the Spurs in play for someone like Lillard or Chris Paul or somebody like that? Maybe more so. We don't like the Spurs don't make trades. It's it's hard to imagine that, but they they would have to look at that, right? You can't just play Trey Jones again. I mean, you got to kind of put your chips in the table a little bit here. I don't think Dame. Okay. But I think Chris Paul. I could see it. I, I could see veteran hand. You know, is that what Chris Paul wants? That that's a whole other conversation. Yeah. Like, what but what Pop does he has want? Pop loved him forever, right? Those guys. There's right. always been that kind of flirtation. Well, and if you told me that you could get Chris Paul even at this age, and you, he doesn't play back, he won't play back to backs for you. You don't need to worry about if he's going to make it to, to to May. Like, that's not a concern for you. If you tell me you got that guy, who let's think about what he was in OKC. Exactly. And he comes in, and he buys into the young guys, makes Shea better, helps Dennis Schroeder have a great year, makes that organization and that culture better. He went in and did that. You're telling me that that's a guy you could pair with a rookie, Victor Wembanyama, and have Coach for Pop? Like, that would be, I think, a success. I think there's other routes you could go as well. But, like, I would, if you could, you know, I don't, the Suns don't have a lot of picks to trade, but you get a second round pick and send them stuff. And, like, I'd be like, yeah, great. Like, I'll take Chris Paul. That would sure. be great for you, for even, even at the number, you have the money to spend anyway. This Brendan, this Brendan to me, like is this is the best landing spot for him, and this is the one that I like of the two that I was hoping for. I either wanted Portland or I wanted this. This yeah. is the one where it's like I think he's going to get to go to an organization knows what it's doing, that has done this before, that has some pieces there already, like the the the. The bait, like it's going to take some time. Still, this team will not be a title contender from day one. That's not how this works. But what what seems to be the case here is like infrastructure to be there now. Pop succession plan, what the coaching situation looks like in a year, in two years, what that I mean, looks like is like an open question. With his but coaching like, I, tree, though, it's like, aren't there a dozen coaches around the league who would go to San Antonio in a heartbeat, especially now? Whether it's Quint, Ime Udoka or Monty Williams or, yeah, Quinn Snyder or Quint, Becky Hammond, James Borrego. There's all yeah. these pretty established coaches. Brett, I know those aren't all yeah, amazing uh, names, Brett, but like Brett Brown is back on that staff, has been back on that staff. Yeah. I, I kind of thought like the, there's a lot of talk for a while that Snyder was going to wait and take the job. And 
maybe he just got impatient. Maybe the Hawks offered him like too much money, too much power. But like, there's been a long line been... of the they're gonna get the 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 pop job sure. people. Uh, I, there's been a lot of memes going around of how old Pop will be now after he retires, <laughs> considering we thought he yeah. was done a few years ago, and now he got he got this guy. But what are your expectations? I, I agree, they're not gonna be competing for a championship next season. The rest of the rosters. Not not close enough, even if you thought Vic was going to be the, the best possible thing. By the way, I'm going Vic, not Wemby. I feel like a child saying the word Wemby on a professional podcast. So I, I'll just make that announcement now to you and, and whoever's listening. I'm going to go Vic. Break, breaking news. Hit it. Hit it, Jake. We need this. Yeah, everybody. Everybody knows now where my where my uh, allegiances are on the nickname. But what are your what, what are your expectations for him for for them and for him? Because. I mean, if, if I told you he was 20 and 10 next season with, with two blocks, would that be, is that like unfair to him to place on him? Or, or do you think that's like a, a good baseline? Where, where, what do you even think he's going to do? Because that should affect how they view this offseason of how far they try to go to set him up for year one. Yeah, so like I think he's being set up to succeed here. Like this is a win for him. I think that much is very clear. I think it's like an 18 in... Like, could you see, like, I, the physicality part, I think, is, like, the real thing I that makes it hard to answer. Like, is and he... Health. Yeah. Right. And, like, just, so like, day one, like, does he come in and it's, like, hey, like, you know, you, even if... Even someone like, let's say, Jakob Pertl or Ivica uh, Zubac, Mitchell Robinson, these guys who are, like, a little bit above average centers, which is, like, a very good place to... Like, a, like very good, competent NBA centers. They will kick the crap out of you. If you're Victor Wembanyama yeah. playing the five, so like, do do they go get a five to play with him? Is kind of like another question for me. Like, do they play him as a four to start and let him kind of roam and not have to absorb some of that rim protection stuff kind of more directly? But I, I think the numbers and some of the impact stuff is going to be there right away. I think it's very clear just like how he plays and what we've seen from him that some of that is just going to translate right away. I don't think it's going to drive like high end winning. Like I would still be surprised if this team's like in the play in hunt next year. Like the West is just very good and like they're going to have. To, they would really have to overhaul the roster to me to really do that. Like this roster just isn't going to be competitive enough and deep enough to do that. But like, I'm, if he's generational and yeah. he drives, like it's just it's just hard to do that. Like LeBron in year one of his career, twenty years ago, in the NBA was not nearly as talented. Had a hard time. Like didn't make the playoffs in his first year. It's just really hard to drive winning like that as a rookie. It's just history tells us that. Yeah, and I think, too, part of the stability that San Antonio has means that they're in a situation where there's no real reason to rush this along. You know, like, it's not Tillman Fertitta in Houston getting a little tipsy and telling a local newscast that all their hopes and dreams as a franchise are resting on on getting this dude, right? It's it's the Spurs. They've won five championships in the past 20 years. They have legends uh, in the rafters and a whole bunch of history, and and... They're not a big market and there's not all these other things pulling them in a bunch of different directions. They're owned by a family that runs Caterpillar. Like this is not, you know, a pressure cooker environment in the same way that some of these other situations might have been. And so you don't have to necessarily push everything in. You mentioned that that Cavaliers team. I mean, that was an old team, right? Like aside from mm-hmm. Barajal, most of the guys contributing on that LeBron's rookie year team were Ilgauskas, who was already 29. Drew Gooden was young, too. Um, but guys like Jeff McGinnis and Ira Nubel and people that, you know, most fans don't even well, remember. So you had, so yeah, so here, here's some of the guys on that roster in, in their years of experience. You had LeBron and Jason Capono. Remember Jason Capono? You do. Probably more than me. I do. 
Yeah, played for the Raptors as well. Uh, Carlos Boozer was on that team. This is right before he, as the legend has it, lied to a blind man uh, and went to the Utah Jazz, although he has since refuted that. Kevin Ollie, who like may be an NBA head coach here in the near future, uh, was a six-year veteran on this team. Darius Miles was in year three. Chris Mim was in year three. Jeff McGinnis was on that team. Mateen Cleaves was in year three in that team. Uh, you did Ricky Davis in year five. Deshaun Jop was in year two, and Dewan Wagner was in year one. So, like, there were some older guys, but it wasn't I was like a super at year old two. Team. I had good. I had good yeah. because I was looking at year two. So, thank you. Yeah. For that. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So, yeah, the the year two team was like we need like Eric Snow to be an adult and uh-huh. Robert Tractor Trailer rest in power. Like, you they got older in year one yeah. for year two because it was like, oh right, we should like get some adults who can like play basketball with this guy who's the greatest thing we've ever had in our franchise history. But even then, I mean, yeah, it it was uh it was not in in the the throes of like a, a multi-year rebuild in the same way San Antonio is. So it'll be interesting to see again how much do they accelerate. We didn't even mention Jeremy Sohan, who I think is another really interesting young player yeah, who, great call. who they can build with. They have that versatility, wing heavy type of roster where it's 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 nice. It's set up nicely for Wembanyama, I think. Um as far as him, my kind of running thing in my head has been Joel Embiid, the the year when he finally played. Um, and and obviously Vic isn't coming off of injuries in the same way that Embiid already had suffered injuries. But I think that there's going to be a level of carefulness that happens just because you don't want there to be an injury with a guy that sure. big. Embiid obviously got shut down by the end of that season, but he played 31 games. The most important part of that to me, though, is he only played 25 minutes per game. I think that I kind of feel like they might go that route with him um, with games every other night and, and you know, 82 of them instead of whatever the French league is, which I would imagine it is significantly fewer. And the physicality, like you mentioned, it's a lot different, you know, with a, a lower level league like that versus, you know, Steven Adams smashing into you. But still Embiid put up 20 and eight. So uh, with three blocks. So I I think I don't know. You said that you don't think the Spurs would be in the play in hunt. I I think they could. It's just their young guys come along like Vassell was a legitimate like I I know it was a bad team. So I don't really mean all star caliber like he really should have made the all star team. But numbers wise, he was up there with anyone. He just wasn't healthy. But if you get steps forward, plus that type of performance from Wemby. But okay, but they, they they won 22 games last year. Yeah. The 10th seeded team in the West won 40 games. Yeah. That's an 18. It's just it's just like an it's an 18 win jump to get in the contend seed and that's with mm-hmm. Dallas at 11 like port, you know, like like you look at the look at the teams in the West. There there will be some change, right? Like we, I like there's change every NBA summer that we don't see coming. But you look through that top 10 in the West. You don't see a lot of stuff where I'm like, I'm sure that team is going to be worse next year or they're going to fall off. Like maybe something changes, like maybe the Clippers like do blow it up this summer and like that they become a tanking team. and That opens up a spot in some wins. Jazz like, it's going to be could get worse on purpose again. Yeah, yeah, sure. But you're right. But no, like, it, I'm probably it, it, overestimating it, 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 that potential. Yeah. I mean, it, it's just it, it will be like if they pull that off and it's because of Wemby. Like. Give him rookie of the year. Like let's well, let, let like let like like he's gonna what he's gonna be like a minus like bajillion favorite for I saw year. Matt Moore at the Action Network did an article where he talked to, to odds makers about where their lines are when win loss totals now versus whoever gets 
Vic, uh, and and it was as much as a five and a half point, uh, five and a half win swing that they were going to be counting. So not quite 18, but I, I mean, I am expecting the young guys that they already have to be better, plus a move like a Chris Paul type of thing, maybe even multiple moves like that, not to to go all in or waste your cap space, but I just think there's a certain level of commitment and, and insulation and support you have to have on the court for a guy like that. Even if you're San Antonio and all the off court stuff is in a really stable spot, like you don't want to have him playing on a terrible team if he's ready to already do more than that. So it's going to be fascinating. <laughs> the Spurs, like part of what's funny about it is aside from the year they got Aldridge and the trade when they finally traded Kawhi, they just had great players forever. So they weren't really mm-hmm. in the mix to be making moves, but now they might be a player for all that stuff. Yeah, 100%. So let's move on to a couple other small things in Slaughtery, Brendan. I think the Hornets at two is really interesting mm-hmm. because they have LaMelo. Does that kind of automatically make them a, a Miller team? Does like that, That's that been a thing where you know people like Rafael Barlow and Gavoni and others have kind of reported and discussed how there are teams that have Miller over, over Scoot. Yeah. I kind of wonder if having LaMelo means like they just become a, a Brandon Miller team kind of head on here as we start this process. Yeah. Uh, so Gavoni and Kevin O'Connor both had Miller at two now in their, uh, Raphael Barlow has had that, uh, for a while from NBA draft big board. Sure. I, I think uh, that's big board wise. I just mean, this is like actual no, but mock he's, drafts. He, um, well, he's, he's even had that as far as like people saying like, this is like, I think he's going to go to like, yeah. and some of his reporting in there. He's had him just, just, like there, there's a lot out there in the ether that it's like, yeah. hey, like this guy's probably going to, or yep. at least could go to. Yeah. So let me put it this way: What's more likely of these four outcomes based on how two and three ended up? Charlotte draft Scoot, Portland draft Scoot, because that's also a team that has a point card in place right sure. now. Scoot falls to four, or someone trades up for Scoot. Someone trades up for Scoot. You really? should trade up for Scoot. Who? You should trade up for Scoot to Orlando Magic. Hmm. Just casting Markel Fultz aside like he's yeah. garbage. One point guard who has a questionable jumper to a younger, slightly younger, but it, who has a questionable I, I jumper. Just, no, I, 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 I hear I, you. I, I, they're in an interesting spot, I feel like, because they they just have so much young talent. I Do you think a mm-hmm. point guard is what is what Orlando needs? Is that kind of what the final piece would be? I like more of a shooter there. That's that's why I, I, I could go about the, the similarities to Fultz because like, yeah, I just want shooting around Paolo and Franz. But I do I, need you more could ball go out too. You could go either way. Maybe there's like a team that like makes like a a more aggressive splash for to do something like that to kind of like upset like that the hierarchy of of what's going on here. But like some team is going to like, do it. Would Houston trade up for for Scoot? Just like one spot, maybe if if Miller is the the guy for Charlotte, and then you just have to go from from four to do three. How do you like Green, Jalen Green, and or James Harden and and Scoot? <laughs> okay, well. If the Harden thing happens, then yeah, you're not you're not draft jumping up to get Scoot Henderson. Um, but 
it's going to be very fun. Like, Green is is somewhat interesting. I mean, I, I think yeah. event. It's the same kind of idea of if Harden was to play with Jalen Green. I think to me, some of that interest probably comes from like what happens if we get the ball out of that guy's hand a little bit more. You know, can he can he make some spot up threes and and maybe you know play off ball a little bit more rather than you know becoming a a six six point guard like he he has had to be. Um, but I think I agree with you. I, I guess the only real, out of those four things I said, the only real difference I could potentially see is if Lil, if this is finally the summer when Lillard changes teams, then that really just sets Portland up to take him, take Scoot at three, and just kind of be on their way with with the next iteration of their team with him as the centerpiece. And and let me tell you, a Scoot Henderson, Shaden Sharp backcourt for the future Count me in. Um, they could just be in the dunk contest together next season and and put on a, a pretty awesome show. Like that would be a cool way to reset your team. So I, I could see that, but it would have to be. I guess it doesn't even have to be like you could have Scoot back up Lillard. That's not a terrible thing to do. And and Lillard being your sort of mentor there is is could do a lot worse than that. Yeah, well, I mean, we'll see what Port- we'll see what actually happens or doesn't happen in in Portland this summer. Joe Cronin uh, had comments today where he said we'll see what the market will tell but i think three significant obviously they went from five to three Cronin continued there there there's going to be some really good players available through that could be great for us or someone else depending on how we approach this draft <laughs> so like i i don't think i you know i lord knows what portland what portland's going to do to win for them from like an asset standpoint to get up to three but like lord knows what what like they're going to decide to do you're such a pivotal such a they, they're the team at the nexus of just like I you could like a lot of things could change for them this summer and I wouldn't be surprised. And also they could nothing could change and I wouldn't be surprised either. Great to have one of the most, you know, well known and prolific scouts on the media side on your team now. <laughs> that helps in Mike Schmitz from ESPN because Yeah. I think he was maybe one of the best scouts in the world and he just happened to be working for ESPN instead of a team and now Portland has him. So W. Any yeah, any other lottery winners losers for you, Brendan, and how this and how this shook out? Bulls obviously losers because like they just you know like didn't get to keep their pick. Um, but pretty I mean, chalk Dallas getting their first. pick. That's nice. Yeah, who are they trading that for? I <laughs> uh, I DeAndre Ayton. No, he's not, <laughs> not worth the top ten pick. Um, yeah, that's hey, probably hey. it. It's kind of hilarious that Washington is at eight again. I just feel like they've made the eighth overall pick for my entire life. <laughs> sure, so, um, but that's it. No, nothing. Nothing else big. It was kind of chalk, which is, which is fun in a way that it it ended up with all the teams we actually talked about getting the high picks rather than us all just being kind of despondent. That would have been the more chaotic thing. But um, look, sometimes you tank a whole year. You do deserve the great players, you know. So. They suffered. The, I, Here they go. The yeah. Spurs are, the th- are a, a dominant force once again, and we all just have to deal with that. Yeah. I, what I, Brennan, what I think right now is I think we'll see. I'll, I'll call him Vic for you. Vic will go one. Mm-hmm. I think Miller goes two. And then I think three, four, five with Portland at three, Houston at four, and Detroit at five. I think that's like a really interesting run of teams because I, I, you could convince me of a lot of different things there. And it's. I am very fascinated to see how all the teams approach and Houston, obviously kind of in the middle of that, just because of the whole Harden thing hanging over this and that this obviously comes before you're supposed to know what's happening with James Harden. (laughs) So, uh, 
yeah, they'll definitely like a, won't a, talk a, to anybody in Harden's camp before the draft. They they'll, they'll have no idea what's going on. By, tampering by is night. not a thing. Yeah, so you know, I gonna be a weird summer. I I'm I'm very sure at this point we're getting a weird NBA summer, and I think the draft might be the kickstart of it. Just see, it just feels it. When the league's wide open, and everybody convinces themselves it's their year, and then you're setting yourself yeah. up for failure. Feeling in the air that we're going to get some some stuff. All right, let's move on to Lakers Nuggets game one. Nuggets take it. Jokic just had a f- monster first half. Murray had a monster first half. Lakers come back. Austin Reeves is just absolutely cooking. LeBron misses a layup late, misses a three late, has a turnover that Jamal Murray pokes it free to kind of seal this game. Ended up being pretty close. Was not close for much of it, but the Lakers, to their credit, uh, made some adjustments. Uh, you know, putting AD, Brennan. I, I think this is where I want to start. I think th- it, we were texting about this. I, it is. It was an obvious adjustment. But I think taking AD, who had 40, by the way, had 40 in this game. And it's yep. just like, all right, you'll get Chad 34, 21, and 14. <laughs> it's just like, oh, you're 40. Like, whoop-de-doo. The the move from Darvin Ham to say, okay, we had AD start guarding Jokic. We just played it straight up. We're going to put Hachimura on Jokic. We're going to understand the Jokic is going to back him down and get near the rim. And we're going to get into the scramble situations. But putting AD there and help and everyone else doing a really good job of sticking with cutters for the most part, sticking with shooters, that really mucked up the game, I think, in a really positive way for the Lakers. And that, to me, is the template of how that... Putting AD in help is the template of how I think they're going to play defense the rest of the series. Yeah, I think it at, at least, least has to be in your tool bag, right? It, it at least has to be one of the things you can do because I think that the other part of, of it is if you have a smaller player, which Davis is more so than like a DeAndre Ayton or a Rudy Gobert or Carl Anthony Towns, the, the previous matchups that, that Denver has faced, Davis already is a little more mobile than those guys, but if it's a player like Hachimura, or I thought they might do it with LeBron, to be honest, uh, heading into the series, but Hachimura holding up makes it even better because you don't have to ask LeBron to do that. But what it does is you also can defend the pick and roll, the two-man game with him and Murray with a little more variety as well. Um, You can have some, you can kind of hedge at Murray, get the ball out of his hands or or prevent the pull-up three or prevent him from getting downhill, whatever sort of coverage you want, whatever you're trying to take away from Murray in that situation, because you also know that the role by Jokic is going to be less open once again, because AD will be at the basket. So it helps when Jokic is posting up. It also helps when they're running the two man game. But um, as much as that was an impressive thing, and I actually do want to circle back on the Rui Hachimura side of things mm-hmm. overall, we have to stop ignoring the Nikola Jokic games we haven't had a Nikola Jokic conversation all playoffs, and I feel like every time we get ready to do the podcast, we're like, oh, we should probably yeah, pump true. him up. And then it's like, oh, ho-hum, you know, he just had one of the best playoff performances uh, that we've ever seen in our lives. And uh, let's talk about all the other stuff. So I'm going to rewind to Nikola Jokic. 34-21-14. and 14. Um, I just don't think... Why is Nikola Jokic surpassing our expectations I, I, is the kind of the way that I want to frame this. And mm-hmm. I mean that in two ways. One, why did we have lowered expectations for him? And two, 
what do you think he's doing maybe that that's different or, or better than, than he was in the past? So you can take it either direction. Um, but he has just been, I think, better than anyone, even the biggest Nuggets fan ever could have expected. I mean, this is genuinely one of the most dominant postseason runs that I can remember. And it's coming from a guy who we thought was an underperformer this time of year. So where I would start with this is I, th- I think we've seen Jokic absorb more willingly some of the scoring burden throughout this playoffs for him. There's games where he has just decided I need to be the scorer. I I need to be the guy that puts the ball in the basket and attacks. And he's doing that. He did that here. He He's still looking for his assists. You can, there's a couple turnovers he had in this game where he's just clearly he backs down his guy, backs down his guy, and is spinning at the last minute, like looking for the cutter, expecting them to just kind of roll in here, and the timing's just a little bit off. But he dictated every minute of this game. For the like in the forty-two minutes he's on the floor, he's dictating the flow of it. You know, Murray got really hot. It's be it's an extension of Jokic. The Lakers game plan is centered around what Jokic does. Like even even AD has this masterful performance in some way. It's like a really good AD game. Jokic is just kind of going through it and pushing through it and kind of dominating it. He he has, like, he's been the best player in the playoffs. Yeah. He just has. Yep. I think the aggressiveness is exactly where I would have gone. I was going back and watching some of the highlights of the uh, Clippers, or the Lakers Nuggets series from the bubble and even the box scores. And he just didn't really look to score in that series. And it's not super noticeable, especially because the past two seasons, when you look at his shots per hundred possessions or his usage, a lot of it was really inflated because everybody was hurt and he had to score, but it really wasn't that effective, all things considered. But when you look this year in the playoffs so far, he has a 32% usage rate in the, in the playoffs in the bubble, he had a 28.9% usage rate. So it's pretty much four percentage points higher, as well as a like 17% increase in assist rate. And his efficiency is up and his free throw rate is up and his offensive rebounding rate is up, which is a really big one. He's almost doubled his offense, more than doubled his offensive rebounding rate from the bubble the last time that this team was healthy. So he's finding these ways to impact the game in the half court offensively as a scorer uh, that he just wasn't before. And it, that confidence, I think, is really there. Like it's, we were talking about uh, RJ Barrett and Jalen Brown and some of like the young player development stuff and how it's a lot of the time just these guys who end up rediscovering and kind of finding their way back to doing what always made them talented in the first place from when they were in high school, you know? In the case of these veteran stars, it's almost like they just find ways to kind of connect parts of their game to one another. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, LeBron needs a post game. And then the post game leads to, you know, he can take some, you know, fadeaway jumpers because the jumpers are there. And then, you know, over time then, okay, now he has the three ball that he didn't used to have. And it starts to just be like, you're limiting your weaknesses. You're, you're having answers for stuff. And it feels like that's kind of what we're seeing from Jokic. Like in the, in that, in that Lakers series in the bubble, he only took 20 shots one time in five games. And he shot worse than 50% from the field twice. He really just wasn't that great in that series, all things considered. And in this game, he already he only took 17 shots, but that's because he made all of them. And he already had a 34-point game, which would have been easily his best game in that series. And this is only game one. So 
it's cool to see the evolution of a guy. And it feels like he, I, to, to go to the other direction of why did we have such low expectations? I think that almost the, the debate about the MVP obviously got super toxic, but I also think it made us think of him as the same player as he has been the past two years. It's like, well, he got the MVP because his, his teammates were hurt and the team was on off stuff was great. And he's a liability on defense, but that doesn't matter in the regular season and all this other stuff when it's like, Jokic is just a better player than he was when he first got his his MVP trophy, which was two full years ago. It, aren't most players better than they were two years ago? And it, it feels like we kind of forgot about that part of it, too, is the guy's only still 28, 29. He's still peaking. The other thing that I think really has buoyed him, Brendan, is is the the, the energy he plays with and the, 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 the pace he's playing with all the time. Jokic isn't fast, but he plays fast. Jokic is the, like, I am always amazed no matter how many times I've watched them, how fast they will get into their first look and then transition to their second look and get into their third look. And it is constantly flowing and flowing and flowing. And even with the Lakers defensive adjustments that were really smart, it doesn't get them out of the rhythm. It doesn't get Jokic out of his rhythm. It, it it just he just keeps coming at you, keeps layering in other things. Just even if it's a turnover, it's just like it's the turnovers are like almost never these really bad turnovers where the ball's like flying everywhere and you just miss. The same he's as always so close. Same thing. He's LeBron so turnovers close to being are, are just like another teammate made a mistake or the process was flawless and the execution was just like two percent off. But it's never like what the hell are you doing out there? Bingo. This puts them in such an advantageous place offensively. With Jokic doing the way he with with Jokic playing the way he's playing, and the the energy he plays with and the pace he plays with, there it's it's no offense is immune to adjustments and good defense, but they are as close as you possibly can be, and that gives them such margin for error. And you add in the fact that. The way they have built this roster full of role players who fit and want to play how Jokic plays and are buy into that, like KCP. Look at what KCP is doing on this team. He's a perfect wing for this team. Look what Bruce Brown is doing. Look at what Jamal Murray is doing. Everything with this team is accentuated and just pushed forward by the way Jokic plays and the way he wants to play. The pace, the ability, the getting into sets quickly, all of that is centered around what Nikola does, and it's beautiful. They're huge also um, in terms of the rotation and it, the, 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 the pacing and sort of the processing that he does in the game. It's something to behold. Like it, he has this, this has this um, way of in the first quarter of these games, he tends to rack up offensive rebounds. And I don't, I, I've never seen a great explanation of why, um, but it was the same in the Sun series, and it's like he'll get three or four in the first few minutes of of a, of a game, every single game it feels like. But then he he didn't. I think he had six in the first quarter, or at least the first half, and then none the rest of the of the game. And that's the same exact thing that happened before. When you allow them to win the the rebounding battle and or the transition battle, you're not going to win the game. And that's what's so crazy about uh, about this team is. 
their half court offense is already so good. Their first shot offense, right? Like mm-hmm. they're going to get an amazing shot, but then they also are going to beat you in those other ways. And that's what makes them so dominant. And that's what makes the margin for error against them. So, so, so tiny. Um, Michael Porter Jr., who I think you mentioned in that supporting cast, the Nuggets mm. are now 76 and 27 in his career when he scores 15 plus. I looked that up courtesy of StatMuse. That is like the perfect way to, to show how exhausting this team is, is to play. All they, all they need to be a 75% win, win rate machine is for that guy who is a walking bucket to just score 15 points. You know what I mean? Like it was him in the first half. It was KCP in the second half and the Lakers played a hell of a game, got 66 points from their two best players, even had a really nice Reeves game with 23 points, eight assists, zero turnovers from their third best player. The Rui game that they had, who we can maybe finish off talking back to him. And it still was just like, yeah, they kind of got it close a few times, but you know, Denver dominated like that. It's, it is exhausting to beat this team. Uh, the last thing I have on Jokic, though, is the defense. He, mm-hmm. ma- he, he made a couple plays in this game, and I saw online people starting to kind of pump him up. Oh, not so bad, is he? It's like, yeah, he's still mediocre or, or you know, whatever. He's not. We don't have to pretend otherwise. But I keep wondering why, because I've, se- I've seen a lot of criticism of the Suns not attacking him enough in their second-round series, mm-hmm. not even just among Suns fans, but among, uh, you know, people who just were watching the series separately like why did they not punish him try to get him in foul trouble make him guard make him tired any of that stuff and it feels Mm -hmm. like to my answer and i'll pass it back to you and stop talking in a second is that they make you have to score so consistently to keep up with them that you don't you're you're just worried about getting what feels like a good shot you you're not able to be worried about targeting Jokic. When you're just like, damn it, we're, we just need a we just need a layup. Like we just need something because they're up 18 and the crowd is going crazy and this is about to get bad. Like, can we just find some way to make a shot? Not why don't we set a screen and have Jokic do this and all? Like you just you're you can't you can't get to that because they keep you on your heels so much. Does that feel like that feels very like ethereal and heady? But that's the best that I can come up with because I agree. Watching these games, it's like. Why are they not punishing that guy who's clearly the weakest defender on the court? I think part of this game, too, the flow of it is Murray got in foul trouble and they started really picking on him. I think I I wonder if in a game where Murray is in like four or five fouls and LeBron loves attacking guards as well. That's also, I think, part of this. LeBron loves, 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 loves to get the switch and pound and pound on a guard. Like that's just part of his DNA. So I, I do wonder if that's an adjustment they make. I do wonder if they just say, okay, like, we need to wear him out more. I mean, that that would be a way to kind of to do it. That would be a way to kind of circle back on this and, and figure it out a little in a little bit of a different way. Um, I am also, I also, the comfort zone is clearly to attack Murray. To me, it seems like the comfort zone for the Lakers is attack Murray and then you have a shooter, probably Reeves, based on how this game went, and based on like what you did. You maybe D'Lo has a game where he gets hot or whatever. He probably will. Just he tends to have like two games or so in the series. It seems like where he gets really hot. That kind of just flares out and is there for the shot. That seemed to be like their comfort zone of how they wanted to attack Denver in crunch time, and not attack Jokic. But I wonder if if that's an, a game two adjustment. Do you think they start Rui in game two? 
over Schroeder because I don't think the Schroeder thing really worked. I don't think he can really guard Murray. And then if he's not out there for that, it's like, well, he probably shouldn't be in the starting lineup. Well, so the thing that I texted you pretty immediately in this game, it would lead me to think they should start Rui. And it's just, I don't think, unless they want to just play Vando on Murray, they do not have, the Lakers do not have a good option to defend yeah. Murray. Schroeder's too small. Delo's just not a good enough defender. Reeves isn't quick enough. And Murray's going to, it can be a little hot and cold. He can be a little inconsistent. So maybe just have some games where he just misses open shots and that'll happen. Okay. Yeah, I don't sure. think Murray's worth uh, doing, adjusting your whole defensive scheme around. I, I, I've said that for a while in these playoffs. I just think you everything should be about Jokic and, mm-hmm. and winning the possession game. And if you can do that, you're going to have a chance, even if Murray has a good night. Right. What I... I, so I think like the I think the template of how and even just I thought the DHO stuff and a lot of the cuts got really kind of mucked up by AD and help just the specter of AD in help and Denver chose not to or doesn't want to or whatever they don't like put Aaron Gordon in as a screener to pull AD out and that to me would be something if I'm them I'm looking to maybe do in game two just one here and there just Jokic handle the ball maybe it's you know maybe it's um Gordon sets the screen. Maybe it's he sets a screen for Murray's guy. Just something with Aaron Gordon, I think, to kind of try to maybe pull AD out of those spots and out of help as the center of the Lakers kind of scramble scramble ball defense at the back end. That, to me, would be like a thing you just do a couple times. You don't do it a ton. I don't think it's something that they're going to get a lot of effective looks out of time and time again if they keep hammering it. But a couple times to get Anthony Davis thinking a little bit, I think, would be a smart way to go for game two. Yeah, I think if, if you do start Rui, if 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 you don't start Vanderbilt, because that would be the kind of obvious thing if you're just trying to come up with an, uh, a solution against Jamal Murray. If you do start Rui or if you keep the same starting lineup in game two, I would try Reeves on, on Murray just to see. I mean, he got cooked a little bit in the third and fourth quarters also, but again, I'm not super concerned about uh, Jamal Murray because I think even his his best shots, unless he's getting layups, which you should at least be able to prevent easy layups if you're a good defense. And again, with Davis and help, then even his best shots are, you know, kind of dribble, dribble threes or fall away stuff or post-ups. Like he doesn't make it easy on himself in a lot of ways. So that's part of why I don't, I don't worry about it. But yeah, this, this series is going to be interesting from the chess piece standpoint, the chess move standpoint. I, Obviously, you favor the the Nuggets because they just won a game and they have home court and they were the better team all regular season. But um, it just feels like they're going to be the team that forces the adjustments more so than the Lakers are. Because the Lakers got a pretty ideal game out of their two best guys. I know I've said that a couple times, but like you 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 don't want to waste those games, and the Lakers kind of did here. So if you're not getting that again, then it, it leads even more in the Nuggets' favor, and they didn't get like the absolute best performance from everybody that they could have you know yeah all right brendan let's wrap up with coaching carousel news a lot of movement here right now um with some coaches getting for doc rivers being let go monty williams being let go it seems like we're going to get some openings filled in the coming days the pistons one was something that kind of linked to the did lot kevin ollie uh seems to be the favorite for that job which is kind of interesting which could leave charles lee open for uh, the, the Milwaukee Bucks job, considering he's on that staff and is well thought of and all of that. You had a note in here that I'm going to let you start off with. Every finals coach you pointed out since 2019 is fired except for Steve Kerr and Eric Spolstra. 
and your thing is, is that bad? And this is where I go with this. Mm-hmm. So I guess I'm going first. <laughs> All good. I don't think, I don't always think, I understand why coaches are the fall guy. I understand how this happens. But I don't always think coaching high, it's like a new coaching hire or changing your voice, so to speak, is like really like a constructive way just to fix everything. You're built, you then have to adjust to that new coach and install new offense and new schemes and principles and all that stuff. Okay. You can't, you can't fire the players, so I get it. Like you can't be like, all right, like, Pat Connaughton, you know, thank you for your service. Here's your pink slip. Like, go home. You have to deal with the, the cap and, and the guys being on your books. Coaches are going to be the fall guys. But, like, I don't think, like, necessarily changing Doc Rivers out in Philly or Monty Williams out in Phoenix is, like, a guaranteed way to change anything. I get why you do it. But I don't think these hires and this era we're in where it's just, like, rotating chairs at some of these big jobs, it seems like, kind of like European soccer style, where it's, like, guys coach at a certain level and they just kind of rotate through these jobs – and if they don't win, they get fired. To me, it's just I, I don't really under always understand what this is trying to solve or like what these teams necessarily are doing by just changing the coach because they can. Or like th- that's you have to make a change, so that's the one you do. It's complicated. I mean, I I there's been a lot of honestly to me pretty exhausting debate about a lot of this online this week of like a bunch of people who have worked in organizations or covered the league telling a bunch of fans that they don't know anything about coaching. Um, and then, uh, you know, that there's so much more beneath the surface than, than you really see. And like, I I'm obviously not, um, naive enough to think that I, we all see the day to day of coaching, but if the reason I brought this up is as much as there's a lot of that, and I know fans, you know, you and I have covered local covered teams locally for long enough to know that the number one thing that happens after a bad loss is that every coach should get fired the immediate day after no matter what. And like that, that is an exaggeration and overreaction, Mm -hmm. but it feels like the GMs are a little bit quicker trigger than, than like most media would be. So I Mm -hmm. end up in this position where I'm like, do we, are we all too hard on coaches and we don't know how hard they work and all the things that they put in behind the scenes to lead to, these outcomes and we just see the 5% and judge them on that unfairly or the people who do see everything they do behind the scenes are firing them quicker than most of us would. So I guess it's just sort of this weird conundrum where it feels like a lot of what's getting talked about is like this day and age, you know, you hear doc rivers and Monty Williams and some of the people who have gotten fired when they're talking after the losses about the potential to get fired, they go on some of these, diatribes about you know nobody's job is safe these days and it's all just a bunch of pressure and the media just but it's like no your bosses are firing you not us so it's it's funny to me and i i don't also know is it is it more than it used to be is that true or do we just say that it 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 feels like it to me like Monty williams just made the finals with phoenix like just made the finals. Do you do you think Monty Williams should have been fired? As a as somebody not as you know obsessive about it as me. I get it, but I don't I feel like maybe not. Like 
What was he, what was he, what was supposed to happen when you depleted the roster and you traded for KD in the middle of the season and he got hurt, so he was limited games. So you had like a lack of a chance to do like. I think it was less about this year and more about the the despite Duran arriving, some of the very familiar ways in which they were not sure ready uh, to to do this stuff. I mean, look no further than exactly what we were just talking about with Rui Hachimura. And I know you're probably, you've been hearing about this over text long enough, so I won't belabor it, but like the Suns had TJ Warren and, and Torrey Craig and whoever you want to ish Wainwright, who NBA fans might not even know is a player on the Suns to go ahead and, and be the Rui in that case, or the PJ Tucker or the OGN and OB or the Draymond green to defend Jokic in the post and then send helpers his way and they just didn't do that. They didn't use Durant in a lot of the ways that his other teams have. They, you know, and that was very similar to the lack of imagination and 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 preparation. Or I don't want to say preparation, like the guy didn't put work in, but that type of thing. One that I think well, so is it. Well, go ahead. Can, can I just run into this? I a that is I think the power of when you watch a team every day. Yeah. Like that. That like that is just the reality. Like I've watched. Like I feel like I watched the Suns decent. I had a good grasp on them as much as you can but like when you watch the team every day see them in person you do understand things and see some of that stuff differently not and read all the coverage and do your own coverage and stuff secondly i think the best example of this as far as this all of this coaching stuff is not even one from this cycle it's the fact that frank vogel got fired by the lakers that's exactly where i was gonna go do you so you think that was unfair yes because yeah, like they too. won a freaking title during the pandemic and it's like you have one bet and it's just like bye like what like what are the we ro- doing? I mean, like, and what that's are we doing a perfect here? example of the roster being the obvious problem that everybody in in their yeah. right mind you would traded know. for. Well, no one would. You could have had Tyle. You could have had Red Auerbach like brought back in his prime, like whatever. Phil Jackson in his prime, Pat, like whomever. Spo, like they weren't solving that Russell Westbrook no. problem. Well, that Tyler was a Rob Polinka thing. Could have. Yeah, but like maybe not with, but maybe not with the Lakers. Maybe only with like Paul and like you know what I mean. Like it's all contextual, but it's like, what was it? What was Frank Vogel supposed to do with this thing that brought this problem? Rob Polinka and LeBron and AD created for him. Absolutely, and and to to follow up on what you were saying to compare to European soccer. I mean, that's one of the things that I feel like is the biggest kind of culture shock from becoming a, a fan of that that sport compared to others is just like it's absolute chaos. I don't know why anyone aside from the money, obviously why anyone would ever want to coach in that sport. It's just like you you shouldn't even rent an apartment. You shouldn't even sign a lease, let alone buy a home wherever you're coaching because it's just a nightmare. So, well, the club you are a fan of Chelsea is the perfect (laughs) example of this because they had Thomas Tuchel, who's why they considered one of the best managers in the world. Yeah. Fire him. Okay. You want Grand Potter? There's all this reporting about Todd Bowley, our American, our American weirdo, who's like talking to Cucurella in the transfer market about about Potter's tactics, all this stuff, right? There's all this reporting about this. And then Potter's gone like six months later, and like I like I consume like the BBC soccer show, I listen to other shows, and it's like no one was like, yeah, you know, Potter probably deserves like a longer leash. It's just like expected that at that level of the club, you do that, and bye it's bye. like, yep. My my soccer father, Mauricio Pochettino, is gonna is taking the Chelsea job, and it's like I I understand from like an ego perspective and wanting to work perspective why he's gonna take that job, but it's like I look at that job and I'm like, why would you take this? It's like there there are jobs, Brendan. There are jobs on the NBA market right now, like that. Like I would be very hesitant. Like honestly, like I can't believe Ime Udoka to some degree took the Houston job. Like why? Like 
Like, yeah, the, the like, two like, best like, coaches I, I, on the market taking two of the worst jobs on yeah. the market and doing it early yeah. before they even knew what might be available to are them. You, you're referring, is are you referring to Quinn Snyder? Are you referring yeah. to Quinn Snyder in Atlanta? Then okay, yeah. same exact thought because it's like I don't understand why. Like I'm, it seems like he got say in the organization. Brad Roland, I know you're listening. Text us and tell us if we're wrong about this. Um, I know he got power in the organization, and I know he got a lot of money. Okay. Yeah. I understand that. And I understand these guys are absolute sickos who like want to coach and want to work and they like, can't stay away. I get that. I, I, I fully understand all of that. But like Udoka like made the finals with the Celtics. You're telling me that like if he couldn't have just like he couldn't have waited and like misses the Rockets job, it's like whoop de doo. Maybe the Clippers job is open in a couple weeks with someone who been like what happens with Ty. Maybe the Suns job was gonna open up if you wanted to coach K D and Devin Booker. Like, I don't know. That seems like more appealing to me than working for Tillman Fertitta and trying to figure out whatever the F is going on with the Rockets. Yeah. I would say with Udoka, the elephant in the room of whatever happened with sure. the, the employee is maybe he felt as if that was... You can explain both, right? With Udoka, it's like maybe he thought that was the only team that would hire him. I don't know if he's right or wrong, but they didn't I, seem I, to I have tend much to, of a problem. I, it, it, it certainly seemed like a lot of teams, like including the Atlanta Hawks, including the Toronto Raptors, really didn't seem to care too much about the Udoka stuff, which I'm not saying is good. And the I'm league was ready to play like ball team. very clearly, right? Because the league has been doing cleanup yeah. for the Rockets, yeah. saying we cooperated with, we, we helped them, and, yeah. and Udoka cooperated, and everything's all good. Don't far, ask any questions. Far, it's all fine. You know? A far, a far, a far, a, a utter, utter farce. They handled it ridiculously. That whole thing yes. is is a sham, and like we're never like it's ridiculous. And then ridiculous. with Quinn Snyder, you like you said, it, it seems like there's been some offhand mentions by insider types that that he had some level of control more than um, he might have been able to get elsewhere. Um, no idea if Quinn Snyder's good Italian evaluation. So congratulations to the Hawks. We'll see if that actually goes well. But I can see from the coach's yeah. standpoint why you would want that. The thing I was going to say about the the chaos of European soccer and. If this actually is more, which again, I, I would be, I hope somebody somewhere actually does the number crunching. It seems like a great insider article or ESPN plus article for Kevin Pelton or something, because I would like to hear if it's more, but what happens, the byproduct, the ripple effect, the whatever of that is, it's just turmoil. It's just change a lot. I think that that is one thing behind the scenes that can, maybe does get underrated is like the practice schedule, the media relations, the community events, the uh, season ticket holder stuff, the whatever. All these things are set schedule wise and tone wise by the person who is the head coach. And if anybody has ever rooted for or followed or covered an awful team that changed its coach a lot of times, it does feel a little like whiplash. It's just like, what is what? what is this team, you know? And so I, I think that that is one way in which it does matter and why cycling through different people in that position is not always good. The last kind of data point that I was going to bring up here though, Chris is because mm -hmm. we talked about this with the bucks thing, right? Of this idea of like, do you, do you have to go with the guy that's proven or do you try to look for more creativity and new ideas and fresh thoughts with an assistant that might not have gotten that chance to to be proven yet and you give them that shot i i made the case for the the second thing because i i'm always just going to lean that way i think mm -hmm. a lot of the time the at least the coaches that have won championships recently just frankly to me aren't that impressive <laughs> maybe that's part of it just the moment we're in right now if it's steve kerr of course but some of the other guys not so much but Ime Odoka last year 
and now Darvin Ham this year have just blown expectations out of the water. Like they've just been, they've nailed their first shot at this and been able to command the respect of the locker room in their first go round, been able to schematically be a little bit more inventive, something, you know, everything from getting Anthony Davis to just deal with playing this, the five all season to what we just saw in this, this game one with some of the uh, adjustments, starting Schroeder, doing the stuff against Jokic, putting the ball in different guys' hands, whatever the case was, they've done that. Does that not change anything? Like, And then we're still hearing the national talking heads sort of do the whole, well, you know, if you're going to have somebody coach Giannis, they really should. If you're going to have somebody coach Kevin Durant, you really have to have them be able to walk into a room and blah, blah, blah. It's like, it feels like they're just completely making shit up to me. It's like, these guys are doing well, a good it, job and you're just ignoring it. Well, it's like, Darvin Ham was is I'm sure able to have this conversation. Do you go back to 2016? Ty Lue gets that job. Another great he's example. He's able to call out, able to call LeBron James, and it has set the template for everything that has come. Look at Eric Eric Spolstra is the best coach in the NBA. And like the when he started, it was like you know he like LeBron's talking to Pat, trying to get Pat to come down and coach the team, and Pat stood by him, and he figured it out. Was any of that guys, real? Was it was Pat Riley ever actually going to coach that team? I feel like that's just a, a no. an embellishment, to be honest. But you know what? I I love some myth making. I mean, it's like commonly held uh, assumption. I'm not even saying you you're like I, I, mean, I said it's it like, like it was, I said it, it. I said it was like it was carved in a stone somewhere, like on top of Mount NBA. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, like Mount Mount Spalding up there, and it's just like we're we're carved into the stone. But like, I think you're right. I think it is also about like you have to it's hard for us and I think anyone in the media frankly but it's a in it but I think we'll acknowledge it as half the battle. It's hard, you have to do your vetting and do it really well and look outside your comfort zone a little bit. Like Darvin Ham was someone I knew Lakers were familiar with. I'm sure they but it's like you went outside of your staff, you went outside of your building. You know, Yudoka was like a was a pull for the Celtics when he really turned things around for them. Missoula, his look at his background; it comes from like a very kind of unique background, and he, it's been a very rapid ascent for him into being the head coach of, of a team that could win the title this year. There's obviously some kind of retreads mixed in there. Mike Malone was the coach with the Kings before this. This is his deepest run. Mike Brown, you know, was with the Kings, but I think it's being willing to look for guys who have who probably do strike that balance of hey, I they can talk to this guy and like have the authority because you do need that authority. I think the best coaches all have it to some degree. And also they bring new ideas and they're going to push you forward in a schematic way. Um, I would always, like if be I, looking, like if I, uh, I would always be looking for a, a Mike Brown or Kenny, Kenny Atkinson type who was a head coach and then kind of intentionally mm -hmm. went out of their way to learn some lessons and dip back into the assistant mm -hmm. thing or a first time head coach. But the guy who just got fired because his last team wasn't thrilled with him. Why are we in such a hurry to pop pro, to prop those guys up? That's what's crazy. Yeah. It's like they just got fired. <laughs> like if you just got fired, your buddies wouldn't be like, "Oh, you should hire my friend." They'd be like, "Bro, you are you okay? Like you why'd you get fired? Like do some work on yourself, figure some things out." And then with coaches, it's like, "What a travesty. Get this guy back in the league immediately." The, the, I think these things sometimes feel very safe. And teams want to play hit a stick with a coaching hire. I think sometimes they want to hit a single that maybe could get stretched out into a double and they don't want to like swing for the home run. They want to, they want to just control something that can go very poorly. Like, look, 
there will be a coaching hire in the cycle at a how profile that someone will mess up badly. It will happen. This is how this works. Every cycle, there is one just like disaster head coaching hire. It just it just is the nature of it. You know, like the Cavs, it, the is team it going to be cover. the Sixers hiring Mike D'Antoni? Yeah, because of what the fuck is going on? Like, what the fuck? What the fuck? Like, I read that and I love Mike D'Antoni. He's a legend. But he, that guy was like, what if I never played a center with the Houston Rockets? And then it's like, it's also, hey, I mean, not to be ageist, but isn't the dude like into his 70s at this point? Yeah, but like, wh- why why the fuck would you hire the coach? Unless it's just a Daryl Morey thing, which then like, okay, like Daryl, are you losing your fastball a little bit here, brother? But like, why are you hiring the coach who doesn't want to coach center, who didn't want to play centers and space everything out and play this Harden ball? Why are you fucking hiring that guy to coach Joel Embiid? <laughs> who didn't touch the ball in the last four minutes of game six when like, you needed a win. <laughs> let's, what are we doing? What are we doing? Let's, yeah, let's doing? hire the like, guy who's going to put the ball back into Harden's hands. Yeah, I don't like, know. Like, hire Johnny, Br- hire, hire, hire Johnny Bryant. Do that. Okay? Hire someone from the Miami Heat staff that you like. Hire Jordy Fernandez from the Kings. Do that. Sam Cassell, who's on your hire staff Sam, already. Yeah, hire Sam Cassell, who like very much seems like he should be an NBA head coach. And pro- like, I know the the former player thing go wrong. Like Chauncey Billups was like, nope, not a good head coach, but still has a job. So the job. Jason Kidd, not sure, is a good head coach. Like this uh, you can, can go wrong. Cut the not sure. Yeah, Jason Kidd, not not a good head coach. Like this can go wrong, but like I I would that model like. Ty Lue is a former player who turned into a really great head coach. And it, Sam Cassell has kind of, he didn't jump to being a head coach right away. He has done the thing where it's like he was an assistant and learned and is grinding his way through that way. And very much seems like a guy who has the, the respect and the rapport. Billups was like interviewing for president of basketball operations jobs before he ended up being a head coach. Billups was the, yeah, the. Um... Kobe Altman has a job. Because Chauncey Billups decided he didn't want to like leave Denver to come work for Dan Gilbert. Whoever the, the these guys who come immediately out of the player ranks and and become candidates for this stuff, like their agents deserve just nice little bonuses. Lots for of Christmas money, yeah. Because it's like yeah. they they haven't done anything and they're like hot commodities. Like what? yeah, well, it's like Jason mean, Kidd. It, I was going back through with the Ty Lue stuff where he's obviously a, a, a desirable candidate and might leave the Clippers he would have to be traded for because he's still on the contract I, I, there I, well, and, I, and the team uh, he seems like he's like the health st- I wonder if he takes like a year off he could but to, with with Jason Kidd another guy who jumped right into this whole mess and was a desirable guy right out of just having been a player he got traded from the Nets where he wasn't even that great of a coach to the Bucks for a first round pick I guess it just speaks I, to no one knows what they're doing here. Is your is your top top person on the market in this coaching carousel still Atkinson? I know you're a big higher Kenny Atkinson guy. It's 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 probably it's it's some order Atkinson, Vogel, and Cassell. Okay. That's probably where I would go. Then Johnny Bryan would be in there, Jordy Fernandez would be in there. Vogel um, offensively scares me a little bit. Uh, that's like the Suns it, obviously have this opening, so I've been thinking. And he would not be my. He would if we were going to do like matchmaker. He would not be the one. I'm like I'm like matching for the Suns. Yeah. I also like 
the, the other name on this list that I think should be rated very highly and probably will, if he wants to get a job, will get one. That, but I also like also don't have to make of him based on how Toronto ended is Nick Nurse. Yeah, I don't know if I don't know if people like him. That's the thing. Like, it, I mean, it's I a red flag. I genuinely, I mean, I don't know. I'm so, not trying well, to say so here, Brett, Brett, like Brett, I, I'm well sourced on Toronto. No, so but. here's, he, but it's a red flag to me when you, one of your former assistants, Nate Bjorkren, goes and gets the Pacers job. He gets fired for like being a prick, basically. Mm-hmm. TJ Warren is just like this guy sucks, mm-hmm. and then you bring immediately bring him back to your staff and hire him for not, Canada. He's on his team uh, yeah. Canada staff. Like they're 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 yeah. boys. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I, I'm not saying like you can't be prickly at times. Like I think sometimes being prickly is like part of life and like asserting yourself is like part of it. But being an asshole is like a step beyond that. And it seemed like Nate Bjorkern was just an asshole when he was head coach of the Indiana Pacers. Yeah, it's weird. And that the, all of this stuff is like why I always lean toward let's give someone new a shot. You know, uh, like I, I've, I've thrown out Dan Craig as a Suns guy because I don't know if you know that name. Not that not James Bond. Mm-hmm. Um, rest in peace. But uh, uh, the spoilers. <laughs> I rest in peace to a fictional character who will definitely be reborn in like three years when they make the next movie. Um, yes. But he was on the Heat staff forever. And now he's been Ty Lue's associate head coach for the past three years. Give me that guy. He had G League head coaching experience where he was like the coach of the year in the G League, was under Spo forever. He also was a former video coordinator in Miami. Then he was under uh, under Spo. Then he kind of took the step to be like, okay, let me get out of Miami, try to get the more experience here, be an associate head coach versus just an assistant. Like those guys are the ones who should be getting jobs, not, you know, Doc Rivers for the ninth time. Yeah. Um, or Mike D'Antoni for the 450th or whatever it is for him. I would like I would like Doc Rivers to like maybe just like get a podcast or something where he can like explain to me. Not like really the voice stuff. for podcasting, if I'm being honest. Okay, well, you know, there's you have also a Doc I, we should, No, I I do okay. not. I'm not trying to get myself canceled, Brent. Thank, but thank you, thank you, Brendan. I more mean the rasp, not the not the other part. No, but like the rasp also would probably get me canceled because <laughs> I think fair. I would. It would just it would just be bad. Um, can I, I just, do you have a son? Would Craig be the one you would favor for the Suns right now? A uh, Ty Lue would be the guy I want the, for the Suns. Okay. Yeah. Same. I, I would also just like want to hire Ty Lue. I think he's one of the best coaches in basketball. So he's in my, he would be number two to me. I think after Kerr Spo. No, after Spo, I go Spo Ty Kerr would be like my three oh. and Carlisle four probably. Hmm. I mean, he's a. I mean, he's just. He just. That guy like just knows what he's doing forever. You know. I know, kind of cantankerous and, but like wildly successful for a long time. Um, but I think this. The last thing I want to say about this before we wrap up is I do think these playoffs have shown us like at least me and maybe this is just by virtue of the team I covered and, and watched them just get their coaching get shit on. Um, coaching is such good. Coaching is such an advantage when you have it. And it allows you to really kind of like stay in series and maybe you, you could be on the verge of, of losing or being in a weird spot with. Like, I think what Darvin Ham is doing is a big deal. I think what, like, I think part of the reason the Heat beat the Knicks is because Spode just coached circles around Tom Thibodeau for most of that series. Like, I, I think Monty got out coached probably by Michael Malone to some degree, right? Like, I think these series have in some ways really been defined 
by these coaching advantages or disadvantages. And it, it, those margins are getting thinner now that we're here, but like, I mean, Missoula like made some, like he was doing some wild stuff with Boston and like, he's had to kind of learn on the fly and stuff like the, all of these things are very in flux in front of us right now. And I think we're seeing coaching kind of like laid out in front of us in very real time with some of these things right now. So it matters a lot, but no one knows how to figure it out. Imagine being a GM. Yeah. Sounds like a great job. Hey, fine. Th- this you, will really you, matter, but you'll probably fuck it up. Congratulations. Here's your $10 million salary. That's what you're paid for. Yeah, that's I mean, it's... for. Well, and it, that's what the money's for. But it's like, it's like, I'm just, it's like, and the, like on a, so- like the recent soccer note, I've been reading a lot about like Carlo Enchilada lately. And it's just like, that guy was just like, he's the opposite of kind of what we've talked about. It's like, that guy's just been like around for a while. And it's like he went from Everton back to Real Madrid and he's just like wins Champions League only now with Real Madrid and like might go coach the Brazilian national team. That guy just like wins and he knows what he's doing. And it's just like there's just like a certain level of quality that like certain guys can bring out of you and some of them also evolve with the times. And it's I think it's about a, I think like whether it's a young guy who's new or whether it's like someone who's more established, I think this is about identifying someone who's both going to evolve and maximize what you are right now. I think those are like you in it's kind of impossible to know because things will just mess up. And like, but like, like I think you're right to say like, you look at Monty Williams. It's like, why should Philly be in a rush to hire Monty Williams? He's a good coach. Like, I think you'd be a better, I think he's a better coach than like coaches that are employed by teams right now. But if you're a title contending team with an opening right now, is he like the right fit for this stage of what you're doing? The answer, the answer feels like no. Yeah. I think Monty would be great for, I mean, he, he doesn't have to coach. I think he has like three years left on and like $8 million annually. So he's, he's chilling if he doesn't want to coach, but if, uh, if, like I, Detroit if I, if I, or something would yeah, be a, a nice yeah, if, spot. If I was like a, a coach that got fired like that, I would pull the, the Cliff Kingsbury and just like immediately go to Thailand and stop taking phone calls from reporters asking me to comment. I'd just be gone for months. But these people are crazy. That's the other part. They can't. Yeah, they're absolutely, they're down. sickos. They're yep. utter, they're utter sickos. Yep. Yeah. All right. Let's end there. This has been the Just Basketball Show for Wednesday, May seventeenth. Some stuff we didn't get to, didn't get to talk about the Sixers really in the off season. We'll have some Suns off season stuff. We're gonna do WNBA preview on Thursday. So I think on that show, as I know, we will cover some of the Becky Hammond Aces investigation fallout. Uh, we have a special guest lined up for that. That's Sabrina Merchant. From the Athletic, one of the goats, the first uh, guest on our podcast who has also appeared on Jeopardy, which is a which is a cool fun fact for, for for me personally as a big Jeopardy fan. But until next time, I'm Chris. That is Brendan. Thanks again to Jake Stevens and Dylan Heiser for producing. Subscribe, rate, review in your podcast platform of choice. Subscribe on YouTube. Hit the notification bell. Be well, everyone. Enjoy the hoops. They're all good. It's all fun.